0: Hi, everyone. I'm Jonathan Siboni, founder and CEO of Luxury Insight, the leading data intelligence platform for luxury brands. Every two weeks, Godfrey Dini, global editor in chief, and Olivier Guillo, editor in chief France of Fashion Network, interview the people who shape the industry of luxury, fashion, and beauty. Our guests share their personal journey and opinion on the current state of the market and what to expect for the future. You can find all episodes on luxuryinsight.com, social media, and wherever you want to listen to our podcasts. We hope you're going to enjoy this episode.
1: Good day, everyone. Uh, today's guest is Leslie Serrero, a highly experienced uh, luxury executive whom I first met when she was a senior vice president at Christian Dior in Paris. And she now runs a, she's the international managing director of a luxury drinks group, uh, Casa Comas Brands Group, CKBG. So you're very welcome, Leslie.
0: Thank you. Delighted to be here with you. Um, okay, let's uh,
1: begin at the beginning. Uh, how did you get into luxury?
0: Well, that's a very good question, because I actually didn't start in luxury. So when I graduated from uh, my French business school, um, I decided I didn't want to work in luxury, as all my girlfriends wanted to do. <laughs> there was the LVMH chair at the ESSEC, and I thought, oh... oh I'd rather work in finance and um, and I didn't want necessarily to work in marketing. So I started my career in finance and I worked at GE. So it was in 98 when Jack Welch was the CEO. GE was ah. the first market capitalization in the world. I had done an internship there and I thought for a young graduate, it was a really good way to learn a lot, have a lot of impact, uh, be able to grow, which I did. So I worked in a small business that was in a technological uh, field. Uh, in the the business-to-business electronic commerce so '98 It was very exciting. Did three years, got three different jobs, was promoted, but then realized that um, to have a really operational role, to be able to manage a company, then I probably wanted to be closer to the consumer and working for a product that would resonate more with me. And I also had a dream, which was to go to the US and uh, do an MBA. So I decided to apply to Harvard Business School And I was lucky enough to get into HBS. So Mm. I moved to the US, went to Harvard, spent two years there. And after my MBA, I was recruited by BCG, Boston Consulting Group in New York. Mm. I joined BCG New York because they had a strong consumer practice. Mm. And they were, of course, an amazing consulting firm. And it was for me a really good way to get to know the consumer space in an accelerated way. So I spent two years in the New York office. I moved to Sydney. Nicely, they moved me to Sydney. Uh, Spent two years in Sydney, then came back to Paris, finished in Paris. And during my five years at BCG, I specialized in growth strategies, development strategies, how to grow brands, how to transform, how to turn around brands in the consumer field. My last client was Lacoste. Um, They came to see us to help us turn around the brand, joined them after that, turned around the brand, and then Dior called me. And of course, when you have a beautiful brand like Dior that calls you, Mm -hmm. it's hard to say no. So that's how I had the luxury to join that beautiful brand.
1: Uh, When did you move to uh, CKBG?
0: Four months ago. Ah,
1: that's very recently. Yes.
0: What do you hope
1: to use? What ideas, what knowledge, what experience from luxury, from Lacoste and Dior now in this new position?
0: Well, I think what I've learned 10 years at LVMH, uh, you learn how to build beautiful brand and beautiful lasting brand. CKBG uh, was created a few, couple of years ago. Um, our flagship brand is a luxury tequila called mm. Comus. And the idea is how can you take learnings from the luxury industry in fashion specifically to translate it into creating a brand that starts from a beautiful product because we're lucky to have a, a former master sommelier who uh, created our Richard, who's one of the founders, mm. and really making it into a luxury and a lifestyle brand beyond just a spirit brand.
1: How do you do that? What specific steps do you think need to be made?
0: So I think it's a combination of how do you tell a story about a brand? So when you buy a luxury product, you buy a beautiful product. And I don't believe that you can be luxury without having that yeah, beautiful product. Yeah. You buy the packaging around that beautiful product. And I think with uh, what uh, Joe and Richard at CKBG and Comos managed to do, we have a beautiful packaging. We have a, a, a I mean, beautiful product, with beautiful packaging, very modern, very mixing Mexican heritage and uh, European heritage as well. Um But at the same time, beyond that, you tell a story. You sell, you sell an environment, you sell a lifestyle, you sell a story that when people wear Dior or wear Fendi, when people drink almost, then they feel that they belong to a specific community.
1: Okay. How do, where do you see growth coming in in your brand?
0: So, because we're, I think because we're, a few things. We are. In a fast-growing uh, industry, so tequila is one of the fastest-growing spirits in the world. Mm. Uh, now I'm in charge of international, meaning the developments outside of Americas. And 88 percent of the tequila market is North America. Yeah. Uh, so the how do we? Where do I see the growth? I think our ability to capture share from our key competitors outside of the US. I think because of our unique positioning, again, mixing Mexican heritage and the European savoir-faire, we have a unique ability to address a high-end, sophisticated European and international consumer. Um, We capture growth because there is also a premiumization in the spirits industry in the same way that we've seen in other industries. So people are more and more willing when they drink a good spirits to actually spend enough money to yeah. make sure they have quality product. Yeah. And that's where we will get the growth by really providing the best product to the markets and differentiating ourselves from the competitors in that industry.
1: Why is there such a big growth in tequila, generally speaking, anyway?
0: So what has happened in a few things, um, celebrities, <clears throat> actually, mm-hmm. entered the tequila market a few years ago. So, everybody knows Got the, the away, story George, about yeah. Casamigos and George mm-hmm. Clooney and Randy Gabber. Uh, and I think that started really starting the growth in tequila because there was more attention put to tequila. One of the other reasons is there has been a lot of work by a lot of players to improve the quality of tequila. Um, and that has required to have a better product, but also there's been a lot of work on the education because tequila making is actually an incredible craftsmanship, but it is still perceived, especially outside of the US, as a cheap drink. When, when you think about it, it takes mm. seven years to get an agave that will be ripe enough to get a tequila.
1: Well, I didn't know that, sure.
0: And nobody knows whether, <laughs> when you think about vodka, you make it with anything. I mean, there are other things when you need sugar cane, like it's mm-hmm. really easy. Mm. And then even, I mean, the way you're going to roast the agave and distill and how you age it, you can get a beautiful product, but people don't know it yet. So, it's how also you start educating the consumer that it can be a beautiful uh, spirit that you can really enjoy.
1: Uh, One of the key strategies in luxury brands in Paris and Milan is to attach themselves to influencers and brand ambassadors. Is a similar thing happening in the drinks industry?
0: A similar thing is happening in the drink industry for sure. Yeah. Como's strategy in yeah. particular was to be launched without being backed by a celebrity yeah. because we want the product to be the celebrity. Okay. And the growth that we've had in the last two years, we're the fastest growing luxury tequila in the world, mm. is because we have a beautiful product. Yeah. What is your price point? So currently we have three expressions of the tequila. A reposada rosa, which retails in France at 110 euros. Yeah. We have an agnero cristallino, uh, it's aged one year, uh, retails at 120 euros. And we have an extra agnero, which is aged three years, and it retails at 400 euros. Oh, wow. But are people
1: drinking it neat, like whiskey, or are they drinking it as a mix, like vodka?
0: So, great question, both. Yeah. Whatever what? way you want to drink it, it is good to be drinked neat. And you can sip it and really enjoy it. It's also excellent in cocktails.
1: Um, We live in an an era of data and it's become increasingly important to all the luxury brands, uh, especially in in the retail world. Um, How do you use data for your brand's?
0: So, so far, we're young enough that we don't have the depth of data that oh. I would have had in my old w- world. Uh, having said that, when I was at Dior, we were one of the first brands of fashion brands, yeah. couture brands, to leverage intelligent artificial intelligence. And so the data that comes from that to be able to improve our performance and especially better understand our consumer and being able to deliver a better experience to our consumer and allocate our marketing efforts in a smarter way.
1: Yes, but did it have an effect on the creative end, the a- AI? Nowadays, people talk about creativity driven by AI. That, was that the case ever at It work? wasn't the case,
0: no. no. No, the idea was, I mean, one of the first projects we launched was we had – lots of consumers coming to our stores, Mm. a lot of them coming only once. The idea was how could we learn more, understand more about those consumers that came only once to find a way to have them come back. And that's where artificial intelligence, when you know two consumers came to the store once, they bought the Mm. same bag, but once came on a Monday morning, the other one on a Saturday afternoon, we wanted to understand whether one had more potential than the other. (laughs) And that's where the algorithm and artificial intelligence, by repeating uh, the analysis of what has happened, the outcome helped us be uh, better target those more efficiently. Which had more potential,
1: Monday or Saturday?
0: Actually, that didn't have such a big impact, but Uh, (laughs) that was one of the variables we looked into.
1: Okay. so, I mean, at this stage, do you tend to buy data, data to, to kind of predict where thing, your brand might grow? Do you look at others? Yeah. Yes.
0: So, I I mean, I will look at data, but I would think it's uh, the data that every smart businessman looks at. So, no. I'm not sure in that case. I'm much uh, much better. Oh. But of course, I'm looking at competitive competitors' data mm. whenever I can get it. Mm. Uh, among a range of uh, of KPI, so of course I'm looking at sales. I'm looking at price point, trying to understand because in luxury pricing is also very important. So understanding how prices when you don't control your distribution, like mm. it happened in the spirits world, which is very different, you don't control your pricing. Yeah. So understand how competitors in price is priced across different. Um, accounts is also important to understand how we should be priced and how we should be positioned.
1: Have you been surprised in the last couple of years the way uh, brands like Eviton or, or Chanel, more, more 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 importantly, have suddenly just jumped their prices, you know, worldwide, you know, and announced it and that was it?
0: That's probably the beauty about the luxury industry.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> the brands are strong enough yeah. Um, that consumers are willing to spend. The uh, consumer target has been less affected by the various crisis that oh. other consumers have uh, mm-hmm. have had to go through. Um, and there's always a new consumer that's willing to buy. That's, I think there's always new people making money that want to get access to that piece of dream because what they sell is a piece of dream.
1: Is that what you're selling to, a dream? A little bit.
0: Well, it's always, we hope to sell a dream, yeah.
1: <laughs> what about, um, where do you sell your, uh, your luxury tequila? What is your, you know, distribution route?
0: So our route to market is really luxury um, accounts, whether it's on or off-premise. So luxury hotels, uh, luxury restaurants, trendy restaurants, high-end bars, uh, and of course luxury retail like La like grande épicerie, la maison du whisky in France. We are hedonism in London or Selfridges in London, oh. and uh, we just started the in- international distribution. So we are now in France, in the UK, in Portugal, in Hungary, in Germany, in the Netherlands. Oh, okay, we're opening South rolling, Africa, though. so we are rolling out uh, in. A, All over the world.
1: Very carefully, as you say, very
0: selectively. Very selectively. That's the key.
1: uh, How many sale points would you be in worldwide?
0: Um, So it's easier to give you that in a country. So if I think about... So let's say, for instance, we we launched in Dubai. Our target was to be in 100 accounts to begin with, which is relatively small because we want to be in the right accounts. Sorry, what's that again? Outside of... So we launched in Dubai yeah. a couple of months ago. Yeah. And when we thought about what should be the target market, we are thinking there are 100 accounts that we think are really high-value, high-profile oh, so accounts that we specific. should be. Yeah. So it's very specific, and it's small enough that it remains very qualitative.
1: But you'd be in several thousand accounts worldwide, no?
0: Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, but that's yeah. why I'm saying... It's really more by country because as we open in country, then I will multiply the number of accounts. But I would say it's probably uh, we will start with 100, 150 in France, similarly yeah. in the UK.
1: Okay, you're joking. Where do you want the brand to be in five years' time?
0: Top three luxury tequila in the world. In the world. And, and we can.
1: <laughs> and then sell it a bit like the, the Amigos did to, because uh, they sold it for an incredible multiple, didn't they?
0: They sold it for one billion.
1: Yeah. On sales of.
0: Believe it was less than 100.
1: Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, 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 why was that possible that you could sell something for 10 times at sales?
0: I guess that was the belief of the value, which I think has been the case, ah. uh, that could be created after that. I think okay. they had created an amazing brand.
1: Buzz name so it's and bed, brand. Yes. Yeah. So uh, it's,
0: it's having a good product and then it's having the brand. So yeah. beyond just having a good product.
1: Okay. Okay. What about um, your other brands in your group? Tell me about them.
0: So we have, so for the time being, we have another brand that's currently only distributed in the US called mm. Superbird. It's mm. a ready to drink. Mm. So a cocktail in cans, tequila based. Uh, We are expanding the range. So we have uh, two tequila cocktails. We'll have four tequila sodas and we will launch three full strength tequila. We will probably end of Q2 start to roll out uh, this brand outside of the US.
1: But there's a big business that once again knows ready to drink. Has that become uh, an increasing segment of the drinks market?
0: It is. It's another growing segment. It's much more uh, selective in the sense that not all the markets oh. have ready-to-drinks. So if I think about ready-to-drinks, the UK is a big market. Mm. France isn't. It's almost inexistent. So when I think about then, again, allocating and prioritari- prioritizing countries, then there are the Australia, with a ready-to-drink market. Mm. Um, there are few markets like that around the world, but it's not, it's growing fast in the market where it is. But why it is would not why, yet.
1: Oh, sorry. Why would France not?
0: So I think France... I'm French, I can say it, oh. but I think the French always want to be more difficult. Oh. Uh, I do love the French. Uh, but uh, I think we also have a culture of, we have a stronger culture of wine and champagne. Um, we, and we have a culture of we do our own cocktails. So the concept of having a cocktail that's pre-done is not just as widely spread.
1: Okay, okay. What uh, other areas and drinks would you hope to go into next?
0: Well, we, I think the idea is we are, the, the, the objective of the group is mm. to create brands that mm. really find that, their categories. Yeah. So whichever category or spirits category we believe can be thought of differently, where we can bring value, where mm. we can bring bring point of difference, then we will definitely consider it.
1: Who owns your group?
0: So the two shareholders, the two founders own the majority. Yeah. And then we have a number of, uh, of uh, investors as well. Uh, in Como specifically, we've had a strategic investment from Gallo uh, in August.
1: Mm. Oh, okay. What's, can you say what your annual sales are? You can't? No. But it's a profitable group, I imagine.
0: It is. And we've been doubling our sales in the last... We launched two years ago commercially, yeah. and we've doubling our sales every, every year.
1: Oh, so you'll get to be a good number fairly quickly.
0: We should. Um,
1: we have a lot of listeners who want to get into luxury, who are, you know, teenagers or college kids. Who um, I'd like to end with you telling me what's your advice, three bits of advice you'd give them if they wanted to pursue a career, either creatively or managerially in the business.
0: Well, creatively, there's no better world, I think, than oh. to start in luxury. So if you can, then... By all means, you should go because okay. that's where you have the most ability to do what you want to do. Mm. Uh, that's where you can be the most creative. You also learn to be a good creative director um, for a brand that exists, at least. It's really that ability to understand the brand Uh, and create within and keeping the DNA of the brand. And it's really that subtle balance between always innovating, always coming up with something new, but always being on brand. And that's probably the most difficult exercise for somebody who's creative, but it's also probably the most satisfying uh, Mm. achievement. From a managerial standpoint, I believe that one of the best routes to get into luxury is retail. Ah. Because you understand the product, you understand the company, and you understand the consumer. And you learn such a huge amount. So, would you recommend taking a summer job in the store? I would totally recommend to taking a summer job. And I would totally recommend that. If you take a summer job in the store, you will learn, you will even learn about marketing because when you sell to a consumer, you need to understand the brand. Again, you sell more than just a product. Uh, you will understand how to deal with consumers. You will understand what is important to consumers. So, even if you then want to move into marketing, you're so much better equipped.
1: Leslie Serena, it's been a
0: pleasure talking to you. Pleasure has been shared. Thank you, Godfrey. Thank you for listening to the Luxury Insight and Fashion Network podcast. If you liked this episode, subscribe to our channel to discover more exclusive insights from leaders of the industry. You can find all our episodes on LuxuryInsight.com, social media, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.